No one can open my eyes and see for me. No one can open my heart and love for me. No, you know, we all face these challenges of fear. No one can help me get through fear. Well, people can support each other. We have to move through that wall of fire um, or get on the other side of the barn burning down or losing a love or, you know, or almost dying. And, and this is the journey that um, no one, we can run from it, but no one can escape it. Because if we run from it, we, we really don't live. I believe that love is all around us. Love is everything and everywhere. I am love. You are love. We are all love. In our divinity, in our soul, in the truest and simplest form of our being, we are pure, unconditional love. Love is the answer to everything. Every week in this podcast, we're talking to incredible and beautiful people who will be sharing their insights and perspectives to help you find more peace, to help you come from a place of love more often, to help encourage you to be kinder to yourself and others, to help you create more happiness in your life, to help you feel more oneness with others, and to help you connect to your higher self. My name is Justin Court. Together, we will help shift the collective consciousness of the planet to be more loving, kind, peaceful, happy, empathetic, understanding, and accepting. This can only be achieved together. It starts with each and every one of us. We are one, and it's time we start acting that way. I am so, so grateful that you're here. I love you, I support you, and I'm here for you. Let's together create more love in this world. Let's do this. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Spread Love Movement podcast. It feels incredible to be back here with all of you. Uh, and thank you for your patience and understanding while we took a few month break. Um, those breaks are just really important uh, and very, very needed. So I appreciate you giving us that time uh, and appreciate even more that you're coming back and joining us for these new, very special uh, episodes of the podcast. So today's guest, we got a really good one. He is the New York Times number one bestselling author of the Book of Awakening. He is also a poet and spiritual teacher who has taught in these fields for over 40 years. This guy's amazing. He really knows what he's talking about. So today's guest is Mark Nepo. He is a cancer survivor who writes and teaches about the journey of inner transformation. Mark has written 23 books, and his latest will help you survive the inevitable storms of life. His new book is called Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. Join us in this convo together and listen firsthand to this brilliant storyteller and teacher. There is great wisdom, ease, and eloquence in the words Mark speaks, and I'm humbled to bring this conversation to you. 
Well, Mark, I want to thank you so very much uh, for being a guest on the podcast and welcome to the Spread Love Movement uh, podcast. Thank you for being here, buddy. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be with you. Yes. Uh, So, you know, I'm definitely excited to chat with you uh, about your new book. It is Surviving Storms, Finding Strength to Meet Adversity. Uh, And Mark, literally, as soon as I read the title, the first question, the first thing I thought of was what inspired you to write this book? Was it things going on in your personal life? Was it the craziness and the storms that were just maybe happening collectively to everybody? Or, you know, what did that look like? And what was that inspiration for you? Yeah, all all of the above. You know, um, I've been, uh, my whole adult life, been working and retrieving books, I like to say. I feel like I'm an inner explorer uh, as much as a writer. And so each book is a teacher uh, that if I follow whatever is genuinely the threshold before me, whether that's difficult or wondrous or, you know, perplexing, then that that leads me to to my inner curriculum. And I, I share that because this isn't just a writing process. It's an introspective process. I just happen to write it down. And so with this book, um, you know, I'm uh, I'm 71. I you know, when I met people my age when I was younger, I thought they were ancient. It doesn't seem so old now. Um, but when I was in my 30s, you know, I, I had a rare form of lymphoma. I almost died. And that changed everything. Uh, that opened up uh, my life's work, you know. And, uh, and and so let me just share that. And that'll then we'll get to this book. But, you know, um, I was raised Jewish. I have a great tie to the Jewish heritage. But but I am a student of all paths because during that time, I was blessed to have people from all faiths and traditions, formal and informal, uh, offer me some kind of help and blessing. So blessed to still be here, I was not. And all these years, some 35 years later, I'm still not wise enough to know what worked and what didn't. And I feel like I was asked, challenged, to believe in everything. And so all my work, all my books, my teaching ever since has been to explore what I feel is the common center of all paths, the unique gifts of each. And it's the cancer survivor in me and says, well, how do we make use of it in our lives? That's, that's the final step. It's no good if we just think about it. You know, we've got to inhabit it. So, so now with this book, um, you know, I was working on uh, kind of it was kind of an integrative book, kind of. So like, you know, looking uh, forward, there's no uh, you know, I can't pl- tell you how these things all happen. But looking back, there's a path of all the different things I needed to learn. And so, you know, at this time of life, you know, these books become integrative. Like I learned one thing, uh, you know, 15 years ago and another thing 10 years ago. And now. I go, oh, oh, they're supposed to go together. What are they opening up? So with that in mind, and then the pandemic hits, you know, and um, and so that, and I talk about this in the beginning of the book, you know, I think a lot of people I've talked with who've been through, you know, challenging things, uh, trauma, the pandemic brought it back, brought it back for me, you know, and, and I was wondering, what's that about? And I, there was one moment in particular. So 
When I was uh, first diagnosed as 31, and uh, I had a tumor growing in a, my skull bone, and it was quite large. I mean, like I, you know, <laughs> one of my friends at the time said, you're growing a second head. You better go see somebody. I went, huh? Oh, gee, <laughs> I guess I am. But when I went to, you know, to a doctor and, and I was told I, I had cancer, and of course that was terrifying and upending and, and I felt like, you are you sure you got the right folder? Can you check, please? You know? mm-hmm. um, but this was the point. Um, when I left that appointment, the door to which I went through to keep that appointment was gone. There was no way back to life before that appointment. And I think this was coming back to me all these years later, because I think that's what the pandemic has done to humanity. Much as we're kicking and screaming and there are parts of our society and global society that want to deny it or be angry and blame somebody or reject it or, you know, the old world's gone. It's gone. Mm. And the only way is to love each other forward. And so this is a paradox because at once this is unique to us in our time, but the details are unique, not the challenge. Every generation, you know, in my parents' generation, it was World War II. You know, every generation, you know, Middle Ages, it was the bubonic plague. You know, every generation is faced with a challenge. It's our turn. Are we going to choose love over fear? What are we going to? Are we going to work together? Are we going to push each other away? What What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? It's a really interesting correlation to your life and that experience to the pandemic. To being like, there's no going back now. Yeah. There's no going back to that old life, and there's certainly no going back to the way things used to be before the pandemic hit us. And I, you mentioned it a couple of times. I, I love the question. You know, are we going to love each other moving forward? Are we going to still live in fear and anxiety? It's up to us. And like, really, you can look at it as COVID and the pandemic as something that really ruffled the feathers in order for us to get clear on that question and really clear on our response. Oh, to abso- it. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, and that's not to minimize the pain or the difficulty. It's a both and. And yep. um, these things always open up something. You know, um, I think one, one other two things that come come to mind and heart about that. And, and one is um, in the Jewish tradition, the word Sabbath means literally the one day you don't turn one thing into another. And I think that the pandemic has forced us into a global Sabbath for, I mean, still going on, but for two years there, especially there in that heart, the heat of it, you know, you, you can't, there's nowhere to go. You can't scheme, you can't dream, you are forced to be with the miracle of what is. Mm. It's all right here. And this this paradox that when that difficult things also open things. You know, there was in the uh, 1600s in Japan, there was a samurai. His name was Masahide. And he was a very experienced samurai. And it, after, you know, uh, at a certain point in middle middle age, you know, um, he put his sword down, walked away. 
And he went to study to apprentice to become a poet. He went to study with Basho, the great Japanese poet. I would have loved to talk to that guy. Like, what happened? What, what What's going on? Whoa. Yeah. But he wrote, he went on to write a haiku that's the haiku that he's known for, which is very profound. It's just three lines. It says, my barn having burned to the ground, I can see the moon more completely. My barn having burned to the ground, I can see the moon more completely. And and so, you know, that to unpack that in terms of what we're talking about, yeah, there's, you know, whether it's the pandemic or the barn burning down or the loss of a loved one, these are real losses and grief and loss is its own teacher. There's no rationalizing it, skipping over it, reframing it. That's real and to be dealt with. And now that that barn is down, oh my God, there's a vastness I didn't know was there. Mm. And we're challenged to live through both. When, you know, it's, for me, it's always end. It's always both. It's like the pandemic can be terrible and traumatic and all of these things, but it can also be at the same exact time, something beautiful that had the potential to bring us together more. It's both. And one doesn't take away from the other. And I think that's something that I've worked on now over the past few years is not so much going one or the other, understanding that a lot of the times it is end and a lot of the times it is both those things. And it's kind of that paradox, like you mentioned, that is kind of hard to understand. Well, how can it be good and bad at the same time? Well, and I think it's a it's a, a function of depth. So, so, so this is one thing that as human beings, you know, we have this amazing thing, this mind, great tool. As far as we know, you know, perhaps the greatest tool of, of living creatures, though, you know, we don't speak well, so we don't know what their minds work, how they work. But, um, but the mind is very good at sorting, prioritizing, and choosing. Mm. Well, that's a great skill to have. It's not a code to live by. Now, so that helps that helps us move through the outer world. But what I've learned in my life from the difficult things that I've had to to face, that the the life lessons have come from being asked to absorb and integrate, not sort and choose. And so when, whether it was my cancer journey, whatever it might have been, I've been asked to open, make my heart bigger. And when I open my heart, then I'm asked to hold the, this is what paradox means, is the moment when more than one thing is true at the same time, I'm asked to hold that until it releases a deeper logic of the spirit. So... I can be happy and sad at the same time. I can be confused and clear at the same time. And it it doesn't mean that I'm crazy. It means I'm going deeper. Mm. Was that experience with cancer, that doctor visit, was that the thing that started? And you kind of did mention this, but was there no spiritual practice? Was there no was there no Mark the poet, Mark the author before? You had cancer? Oh, uh, well, yeah, there what yeah, I think if I go back and look, you know, um in retrospect, before I had any language um and uh, you know, and for me first let me just say that poetry is not 
the arrangement of words on a page. Poetry is the unexpected utterance of the soul. Mm. And again, everyone, when they're authentic and tender and real, is a poet. It's just some of us write it down, some of us don't. So before I had any language for anything, even as a kid, when I look back, the world always spoke to me in metaphor. I, I didn't even know what that was, but I remember being a kid and playing out in the woods or whatever, and the wind through the trees, and it was like it was saying to me, hey, pay attention, What's, what do we like? This is like what? What is this like? So I always look, was just, that was a, a native language for me. And then, you know, fast forward when I was in high school, and inevitably, you know, the first love, my first, you know, girlfriend, you know, dumped me and broke my heart. And um, and so I wasn't a loner in high school, but I didn't have I didn't have what you would call close friends till I got to college. So I started writing as a way to try to heal and deal with this. Well, as I started to move into it, um, I realized I wasn't just talking to myself. I had begun a conversation with life and the universe mm. and I, i've never stopped that so so then is you know as i move that i think what happened to me during my cancer journey in addition to becoming a, a uh a student of all paths is that i was always heart centered but before my cancer journey i was i was way up in my head and so through no wisdom on my part I was, you know, put inside out, upside down. And when I awoke, everything had moved down. And so ever since then, my mind has served my heart and not the other way around. Mm. You know, one of the interesting quotes that was in uh, the new book, uh, Surviving Storms, uh, Finding Strength to Meet Adversity. I thought it was, it caught my eye right away. And it's by, uh, it's by Oprah. And we're kind of just touching on this right now, challenges. And she says, challenges are gifts that force us to search for a new center of gravity. Don't fight them. Just find a new way to stand. Yeah. Isn't that a great insight? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Because how it's just such a shift in perspective, which changes everything in your reality. Because saying challenges are gifts is challenges are a gift. People right off the bat would be like, no, they're not. What are you talking about? That's literally madness, right? But if we can literally see a challenge as a gift, we turn this very negative thing to an extremely positive thing. And instead of being negative and feeling suffocated, it could be positive and feeling endless and abundant. Well, so there are a couple, yeah, there's a couple of things that, that uh, speak to why, why we are so narrow in our focus about this in our modern world. So, you know, uh, one is that in, in most in the uh, indigenous traditions, Native American, um, in early traditions, even in the major uh, uh, traditions, sp attendant spirits were always affirming and challenging. Now, you, you look at a word, I, I, you know, I, I often speak about the origin of words, not because I'm a word geek, but because I found out through time that words erode like, like nature. They become fragmented. And often when we go back, they're more whole, they're more useful, 
Mm. They're more profound. So, you know, you go back to Elizabethan times and somewhere, somehow, we had a word before then in English, daemonian. Now, daemonian was the equivalent in the Native American, they talk about a trickster spirit, which really isn't a trickster. It's this, sometimes it's affirming and sometimes it's challenging you to step up, move through this threshold. And so, uh, but then we had this word daemonian, which was kind of a parallel. And then somewhere along the way in the 1600s in England, that word got split into angel and demon. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Now, now we've got good attendant spirits and bad attendant spirits. Mm. And, and what does it do? It isolates us from what is challenging. It starts to make us think, oh, the challenge is bad. Stay away from the challenge, but you don't grow unless you move through the challenge. Okay, so that that's, that's one thing um, that has really affected us through, through the years is how do we face this chat, the challenges that, that open up life. Um, and that leads to a couple of things, you know, one is in, you know, in Dante's divine comedy, which we're all asked to read way too young. Um, and in his divine comedy, which is, uh, it was the first major work that wasn't written in Latin that was written in Italian. That was one thing, but he really was the first one who really dove deep into what we call a midlife crisis. It starts with the, him in midlife going, I've lost my way. I, I, I'm in the middle of these woods. I don't, it's dark. Well, what do I, I don't know. And an apparition or attendant spirit, Virgil appears to him as a spirit and guides him. And he goes on this long journey from hell through purgatory to paradise. So two things to share here about this that are, I think are very profound. One is how we look at those three states. I, now, there's a, a woman long gone. She was a mentor for me, a teacher, Helen Luke. She was a Jungian analyst. And she wrote this whole book, which I recommend to you, called Dark Wood to White Rose. And she looks at the whole journey that Dante unfolds as a metaphor for our journey of consciousness of being awake. And it's quite brilliant. And what she says essentially is, no, it's not like climbing up a mountain. It's, it's all this way. Hell is the cost of false living. Purgatory is the struggle to be real. And paradise is the struggle to stay real. Notice we never get rid of struggle. <laughs> <laughs> and so we can be in any one of those states on an, any given day, but we, you know, hell is the cost of false living. You know, you, and I think we can see that at large in our society today too. Uh, no one is exempt, but the struggle to be real together, that's, that's, that's heaven on earth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, one more little story from this that pertains to what we're where where we are right now is right in the smack in the middle of this huge like hundreds of page epic journey right 
Dante's in purgatory and he comes upon a wall of fire. So he said, I, I guess I'm done. Well, I'm not going through that. And Virgil hovers over him, his spirit, attendant spirit. And he goes, it is the fire that will burn, but will not consume. You must go through it. Dante goes, whoa, uh, nah, nah, thanks, but no thanks. Virgil swoops closer and says, listen to me. It is the fire that will burn, but will not consume. I will meet you on the other side. And he vanishes. So Dante gets his courage. And sure enough, he dives through the wall of fire. And he's nicked up a little, you know, but he's all right. Mm -hmm. And he looks around. And Virgil is never to be seen again through the rest of the entire journey. There's no comment. No word, nothing. So did Virgil trick him? Well, I don't, I don't think so. I think the profound lesson in this is that wall of fire, no matter how it appears, is the wall of transformation that every human being will get a chance to face. It may not look like fire. It may look very quiet. It may be looking in the mirror. Who knows? They may be putting down the dream your parents had for you and insisted for you. But everyone will go through that wall of fire. And when we do, we become our own guide. We don't, that's why Virgil doesn't show up anymore. That's the reward for going through the wall of transformation. It's such, it's such a good way to look at that because so many of us feel like that wall is a wall of fire and is a wall of death. And if we try to go through that, we won't make it. We'll literally die. And like you said, so many, I mean, walking through that so many times is where we can be reborn, is where we can literally be our truth. It's like everything is on the other side of fear. And that fear of death is uh, obviously, you know, ego. That is a massive, massive fear for us. That's like the last thing that we want to happen. But that denial is stopping us from, from being reborn and living our truth. Well, and it's not, and again, with compassion, it's not to deny, hey, nobody wants to go through a wall of fire. Yeah. That's not fun. That's real. That's yeah. going to hurt. It's dangerous. But yeah, I think nine out of 10 times we get through it or we, and we help each other. You know, I think for whatever reason or however it's happened, I think life has been made just difficult enough that we need each other mm. to ensure the journey of love. And you talk about that a lot, right? Us, our togetherness, uh, our love for each other. Um, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot is changing the consciousness of the planet to a place that is heaven on earth. That was a place that's more loving and more kind and more empathetic and compassionate uh, to each other. It's just so wild, you know, <clears throat> before having this realization or this thought, it wasn't something I ever thought of. It wasn't, it was something I never really put any, any time into kind of probably something I never thought could even happen. And then now being on this side and really understanding we all have the capability to do this. We just literally have to love each other more and understand our oneness and understand when I hurt you, Mark, I hurt myself. And when I'm good to you, Mark, I'm good to myself as well. Yeah. So I just, I love that. It's beautiful that that's come up a lot and that is clearly something that is within your realm of thinking. Um, do you, is this something you're talking about a lot during speeches or during books and things like that? 
Yeah, yeah, with all the the teaching circles and the wherever I'm speaking or teaching, you know, and and but for me, the way I hold it is, you know, as I mentioned, it's our turn, you know. Um, I don't I don't know if we will ever quote get there. Right. That's not the point. The point right. is to be as loving as possible, uh, as much as possible, and. And that that so I believe in incarnation that is over progress. So progress is it was a good thing in the outer world. We want to leave the world a little better than we found it. But incarnation is all these things that every human being who ever lived has to go through. So, you know, I. I, no one can open my eyes and see for me. No one can open my heart and love for me. No, you know, we all face these challenges of fear. No one can help me get through fear. Well, people can support each other. We have to move through that wall of fire um, or get on the other side of the barn burning down or losing a love or, you know, or almost dying. And, and, this is the journey that um, no one, we can run from it, but no one can escape it. Because mm. if we run from it, we, we really don't live. We, you know, human beings, I mean, there's a beauty, beautiful thing about animals is they're just there. They're present and that's it. There's no, mm. but human beings, because of our amazing gifts, we also can be the walking dead. Now, the wonderful thing is that we can awaken in a second, in any second. So another, another thing about obstacles I wanted to share with you is that in the Hindu tradition, you may have heard of Ganesh. Yeah, Ganesh, Ganesh some people call say Ganesha, but uh, Ganesh is the provider and remover of obstacles. So in the Judeo-Christian tradition, we always, we have these saints and sages we pray to to get us out of trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, please God, no, no, I'll, I don't, I don't, yeah, I'll be better. Um, but and I love about the Hindu tradition, it tells us that, that obstacles are teachers. It tells us that what's in the way is the, the way. And so the obstacle is removed once we've learned what it is we need to learn or we see mm-hmm. differently. And Ganesh himself is always, I, I collect it. I didn't realize I was collecting it. You know, wherever I go and teach, I just love them. And so, you know, that you, they, I've got, you know, dozens around here. Um, here's one, you know, and it's always portrayed as a a represented as an elephant with four hands. And I, uh, in this one, but most of them, okay, this is the story that the more authentic ones have at least one broken tusk. And the myth is that Ganesh himself ran into an obstacle and got so upset, so angry that he broke off his own tusk and threw it at the moon. And the moon laughed at him and spit it back. 
And so even the God of obstacles, he carries his broken tusk as a reminder that even the God of obstacles is not exempt from obstacles. Uh, it's so good because I feel like so many times when you'll hear uh, spiritual leaders or religious leaders and you hear them talk and you kind of think they don't run into obstacles. They don't run into any hardships. They don't run into fear ever. And we all do. You know, they've just kind of. Oh, yes, my God. You know, I know I know a lot about fear because I've I experienced a lot of fear and still do because we don't wisdom, in my opinion, my experience, wisdom is not a shortcut or a get out of life card free. Wisdom is a support. Doesn't matter how much I've read or learned or been through. You know, we, I get off this call and trip taking the garbage out and adrenaline, fear. Uh, it's all, you know, because we're human. And so the purpose of wisdom is not to eliminate these things. It's how to inhabit and hold our humanness because our humanness is the gateway to spirit. I, I'm going to use a really quick example. I was doing a podcast one time because you just say I'm doing this podcast and you hop off. I was doing a podcast with somebody and it was a brilliant conversation. Uh, we didn't see eye to eye on, I would say at least a few things, but it was just this beautiful open. We communicated. There was no hatred towards each other. There was no, I'm right. You're wrong. It was amazing. And I was literally at the, this like euphoric high. I felt so high vibrational, amazing. And as soon as I end, we walked downstairs and my wife at the time, who was seven months, six, seven months pregnant, we had gotten dropped from our health insurance. Oh my God. So I went from this being and of this, just like, I was kind of like, I felt nothing could touch me. You know what? Like I felt so high. It's like, I'm go, I'm in heaven right now. I'm great. And then to come out and, and, and receive that news. And, you know, like during that conversation with her, I, I probably, you know, I sounded like this, not, not like I knew everything, but at, at a certain level of being, and then the door closes, I go downstairs and boof, this gets shopped on me and everything kind of came crashing down. Yeah. And it was in that moment and it, it took me some time, but to just understand what was happening with that and release my anxiety and fear towards the situation. And that took work and that took time. You know, it wasn't something that I just did in an instant because I think wisdom is too, there's, if you know something to be true and you know this is kind of like the key, that is one aspect of it, but you have to use it. You have to apply it. That's the whole other aspect of it. You can know all these things, right? But if you're not applying them and you're not working them into your life, and like that's where it comes from as someone who is a spiritual leader or religious leader. It's like you know most of the time, I don't want to say like what to do, but you have a good grasp of what can bring you peace and joy. But it is taking that step forward and applying it and doing that thing to then bring you the peace and joy. Well, one of the things that I think, thank you for sharing that. I think one of the things that's so important in, in my work, and I often say that I, I, what I share are examples, not instructions, because there is no how to. And we compare notes on what it is to be here. And then if something seems meaningful that we look at, then it's incumbent on you or me to see how it lives in our particular lives. And one of the things that's been a great teacher for me in the last 15 years is the, the notion that all things are true. 
All things aren't fair, all things aren't just, but all things are true. And I am being challenged to open my heart deep enough and wide enough to let them all be in conversation. So yes, you know, you know, we, we hear this proverbial thing is the glass half full or half empty. Well, it's always both. It's always, that's the whole glass. So yes, you know, I, um, I can be afraid and I can also at a deeper level be at peace and I do need them to apply to each other. So a metaphor that helps me with this is of the ocean. So the, any body, a deep body of water, the top eight inches, maybe even a foot is always disturbed by weather might be gentle, might be choppy, but it's always being disturbed by weather. That top eight inch, and it's all one water. You can't tell where the top stops and the deep begins. Well, those top eight inches represent our psychology, the part of us that meets the world every day. And that is always agitated by circumstance or storm or, okay? so. If I stay in that top eight inches, it's going to be hell because I'm going to be bounced around like a pinball in a pinball machine. So I can't, I can't escape. I can't run from it into the deep. But when I can, and meeting whatever disturbance there is by being alive and being out in the world, and I allow that to register into my depth, Well, the deeper we go, you know what happens when you go into the deep in the water? It's more fluid. It doesn't even make as much noise. It reverberates out and it has a deeper universal spiritual context. It's still real. It's not, oh, well, that doesn't matter. But it gives us a way to, you know, so in another way that that I've come to understand that the waves, There's a thousand waves and they represent the thousand human moods. You know, happiness, fear, wonder, you know, everything. Okay. But, you know, I used to mistakenly, I think, I don't know if I was taught this or I assumed it or I picked it up as a young person from our society, but I used to think that peace was the still point at the end of trouble. There is no end to trouble. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's no end to the surface of the water being disturbed. That's what life is. Whether it's trouble or not, that's what Ganesh helps us with. Mm. Okay. But so therefore joy and peace is the depth of being that holds all the feelings, all the waves. So that requires a different kind of presence and practice, not to run from trouble to peace, mm-hmm. deep and so I can hold all of it, except my humanness, except I am afraid or surprised or agitated or hurt, and let the depth of my soul, or what I would say, the authority of my being, which comes from the authority of all being, 
hold all the disturbance. So I, you know, I think that's something personally I need to focus on more. Uh, and I don't ever, I don't ever like to say work. Something I, I get to play with a little bit more is markets. You know, when fear or anxiety or, the, or those things come around me, I don't want them. You know, like you kind of just mentioned accepting that as human beings and who we are and these feelings that we have. But like when those happen to me, it's like, okay, spirituality come into place. What can I do right now in order to change my perspective, change my thought on this thing and not have to feel this so much? Well, sure. That, and, and, you know, I, I offer for all of us to, that's where self-compassion, that is human, of course. Who, who want, nobody wants to, that's what I love about the Dante thing. He's, he's given the instruction from spirit itself. You got to do this. And he goes, ah, no thanks. <laughs> you know, yeah. Of course, nobody wants to do this, but what's in the way is the way. And then sometimes I can muster the depth of being to do it. And sometimes I can't, sometimes I got to say, Hey, call you up and say, help. I'm stuck. I, you know, everything mm -hmm. I know, uh, I can't shake this fear today. Help. Mm -hmm. So let me, let me share a story. This is an ancient anonymous teaching story, Hindu teaching story about fear and pain. And I, and I love this. So there's a master and apprentice always, right? Well, the mat, the truth is that, the master finds the apprentice this one very annoying because all he does is complain 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 so the master says bring me a handful of salt put it in a glass of water and bring it to me quietly so the apprentice comes he says drink he drinks spits it out the master, what's the matter he says it's bitter the master says i want you to get the same exact handful of salt and follow me quietly so the apprentice gets a handful of salt. It's cupped in his hands. He follows the master. He leads him to a lake. He says, put the salt in the lake. He does. He says, now drink. He kneels down the apprentice. He, he scoops up some water, dribbles down his chin. And he says, well, the apprentice says, oh, it's fresh. The master looks at the apprentice and says, stop being a glass, become a lake. Stop being a glass, become a lake. Anonymous ancient teaching story from Hindu. I, I was teaching at a medical school once and I told that story and this wonderful resident who had, whose ancestry was in India, she said, my grandfather told me that story when I was a little girl. Mm -hmm. I love that. And what it holds for me is that everyone gets their handful of salt, fear, pain, nobody, nobody's exempt. You may get a clump of salt, you may get a grain at a time, okay? But when fear, and, and you might listen to the story and say, well, it's not good to be a glass, I won't do that. Well, we will because we're human, because pain and fear say hello by making us a glass, but we don't have to stay that way. And so what the story is telling us is, for probably a thousand years old, when faced with fear and pain, we can right-size it by enlarging our sense of things, become a lake. And if we don't, not only will we feel the acuteness of fear and pain, but we'll grow bitter.
So the question is for us and all those who are listening in a very personal practice way, what are the experiences, practices, and resources that you can enlarge your sense of things? What's in your toolbox? So that the next time fear or pain surprises you, you have something. What do you do? Do you go for a walk in nature? Do you garden? Do you write? Do you listen to music? Do you play music? Do you call up a friend? What's in your toolbox to enlarge your sense of thing? Not to eliminate pain and fear, but to right size it. Do you feel like it's like the idea of the glass just when we're in the state of being the glass, are we just not as expansive? We're just a little more, a bit more small-minded? Well, I think, yeah, and let's not, yes. And, but let's put a natural rhythm on it, okay? That, you know, everything in life expands and contracts. Okay, I wouldn't even say large or small because that's a subtle judgment. Everything expands, you know, as I'm talking, we're talking, our lungs are expanding, contracting, our eyes are opening or closing, okay? So, Everything in nature, how blood moves, it expands and contracts, okay? So the challenge in being human is not to eliminate you. We will close. The question is that we have to open after we close. We always have to open one more time than we close. So we will. There are things in life that make us constrict. And the spiritual courage is simply, okay, how do I get up one more time than I fall down? How do I open one more time than I close? How do I lean in after life pushes me away? And this is when we need the, you know, we need to practice these things uh, when we're not being pushed away, when we're not in pain, so that when we are, this is when it's really, this is when it's important. Mm -hmm. And can I ask, Mark, in, in your book, Surviving Storms, do you talk about things in there, things that people can put in their toolkit that they can go back to and utilize, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. You know, in all of my books, and this is where the life of my, my life as, a, as a, a constant learner and my life as a teacher have, have merged is um, I started with, I think, my second or third book doing this is I always have at the end of each chapter um questions to walk with invitations that invite the reader to see where it lives in your life mm. how are you, you know so i mean a question just from that story is can you uh, you know i often ask invite people to journal and then to maybe a week later have a conversation with a friend or loved one in a second kind of an interpersonal journaling. Mm. So, but it always is always the invitation to say, so, okay, can you describe right now? Can you describe a time for those of us who are listening to us watching? Can you describe a time, a recent time when pain or fear made you a glass? What did you do to enlarge your sense of things? And if you didn't, what would you do if you could now? So I would say journal about that. Then a week later, sit down and with a loved one and have a conversation about it. And I often in my books too invite people, you know, I don't, I really invite readers 
to take their time and, um, you know, I purposely have pretty short chapters that, so that I would hope and invite you to read a chapter, then live your life, then read a chapter, then live your life. Let it, let it integrate so that it's a, co- a three-way conversation. That's so important because, you know, we do, I do a weekly call, um, uh, with some friends and we just, we talk about spirituality. We talk about how we can be the best versions of ourselves. We help each other through struggling times. And it's so important to do both, to not only be there for those conversations that I have, not only be there to read your book, but to implement those things into real life. And I think that's amazing that you're helping people do that in your books because that's it. You can listen to Mark's, you can read Mark's books all day long, understand everything beautifully. But if you never come into a situation or an experience where you can utilize your toolbox, your toolkit, then what was the point in, in obtaining all that information in the first place? Yeah, it's all to help each other live more fully and mm-hmm. kindly. Uh, uh, yeah, with heart, with each other. And so whatever wherever it can speak uh, to lead you more deep. You know, I, I feel like I know when I teach, my commitment is um, to open a heart space in which I can help people, uh, introduce people to their own wisdom and their own gifts. Mm. Like helping people just connect to that, right? Because you said like... You mentioned this before, we're all different. We're all going to utilize things in our own certain way. And that's nice. You're creating that barrier for people to right understand it, be introduced to it, and then use it in the way that fits them. Because we are all different. We're all going to you know, approach something in a little bit of a different way. And there isn't just like the one-size-fits-all model for everybody. No, there is no, there's no how-to. No, right. There's no how-to. There's only let's look at what this is like honestly together and share what we're oh this worked for me it might work for you the, oh no this works for me and it's a great like model for that i which i love is native i learned that native american elder councils now they've done this for hundreds of years and they still do it today they meet in circle not just for equity because there's no head to a circle but they meet in circle so everyone has a direct view of the center I love that Mm -hmm. because what that says, no one view is enough. Mm -hmm. So forget, you know, the older I get, I'm not interested in argument or debate or persuasion. It's to me, it's a waste of time. I'm interested in share what you see from your, whatever we put in the center, share what you see from your side and what I see from mine. Oh, and then someone else. So we gather meaning. We don't choose it. It's like, it's like sharing because that's who you want to be in that moment. Because you love that other person. You have compassion for that other person. It's sharing for the sense of sharing to say, hey, maybe this can help you. But with no expectations, if that person is going to follow through exactly how you told them to, because that's how it worked for you. Well, and I, yeah. And and I th- I think that when we truly listen with our hearts, you know, even meaning well, if we don't realize this inherent uniqueness that everyone has, we, we do good poorly, you know, so if, so if you, you know, we're friends and you, you know, your heart was broken and I've experienced that and I want to be there for you. So now I, you know, I say, Oh gee, you know, I know what that's like. Well, I, I don't. I do and I don't. Yeah, yeah. I know what 
I what I really want to need to say is I've experienced my own heartache. What's it like for you? Mm. And then because if I say I know what that's like, I'm dismissing your side of the circle, even meaning well. So this is why it's so important in relation, you know, like my wife and I, my wife, Susan's a potter. We've been together 28 years and, um, you know, I know her, as you can imagine, so well. Um, I know what she feels and thinks and believes about things, but, but honoring her means I say, well, who are you today? Mm. I know who you've been. Who are, who are you now? I know you've had this strong feeling about these things, but maybe it changed. Maybe today you see some more or differently. So it's always allowed that allows a person to grow. We mistake in our society um, consistency for character rather than authenticity. So consistent, oh, you know, here's a checklist of values. And if I do these, there's nothing wrong with that as a barometer. If I do these, I'm a good person and I need to stay uh, consistent. Well, that's fine in terms of basic things like honesty and truth and kindness. But in terms of how I understand and see the world and, and, and process things, no, my only vow is to stay authentic, mm-hmm. not the same. And it's challenging in those moments to stay authentic when the people around you are expecting you to be in a certain way, right? Based off of your past and who you are. And I think that's beautiful that you acknowledge that with your wife. That really is. <laughs> that really is. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Mark, so with the book too, I know you're doing uh, an upcoming webinar as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So if we could just, I would love to let people know about that. If we can touch on that, just kind of what to expect, uh, you know, is it over a couple of days, just what that looks like? Yeah. So what I, I started to do this during the pandemic and, it, and and now that I'm back out in person, I still am doing three of them a year. So what it is, this will be in February, uh, February 4th, 11th and 17th. So three weeks in a row, be an hour and a half session each week where we will go through themes and like this and well i'll invite people and share with them and invite them into their own space and their own journey and so people can uh can register for this uh at live.marknepo.com and it's all through zoom very easy we've it's been remarkable we've had this is my in the last few years it'll be my ninth webinar and We've uh, we've served uh, over five thousand people in over twenty countries. Uh, it's been a, you know when it first started, my my wife and my team partner uh, in my work, Brooke Brooke Warner, said, "You can do this. Uh, let's do this on Zoom." I said, "Oh yeah, okay. What is it? What do we do?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't even know what. It, I mean, I knew what Zoom was, but you know, I'd never done it uh, mm-hmm. from this end. Yeah. It's how, I mean, how amazing and interesting that you get to go through a webinar and talk about the book with the actual author. I mean, that's pretty, that's really, that's really exciting. It's cool that you offer that. Yeah. Well, thanks. It's a joy. It's wonderful to have, because people who can't show up in person, it's amazing to, 
reach people and and be you know talking with them all over the world mm. it's like really to be able to dive in to a, it's like you'll have like book reading clubs or things like that right but you get to actually be with the author of the book going through a webinar touching on different points of the book i mean that is just crazy insight that you don't get to see very often and we will definitely be putting those in the show notes uh the link so people can go and register uh, if they want to join. Um, and then Mark, before we cut out of here, I just want to ask you the question that I ask every single guest. And we touched on it, <clears throat> excuse me, and we touched on it a little bit before. So I'd mentioned this, My it's not even like my goal, just like what resonates for me, what makes me feel good is helping shift the collective consciousness to a place that is more peaceful, loving, empathetic, uh, forgiving, vulnerable, and accepting of one another, essentially a consciousness that understands and really fully grasps and becomes our oneness that we truly are. And I mean, we've talked about this a lot during the podcast. It's like you're doing this every single day, but I would just love to hear in your own words, you know, through your books, through your everyday actions, how are you, Mark, also contributing to this sort of a shift in, in our consciousness? Well, I think, um, you know, I'm contributing and I invite everyone. It's a very common, you know, Mother Teresa said that courage was doing small things with love. And I think that um, the it's, start, you know, the, this the challenges that are before us are so huge and overwhelming. And I think we have to start with the step right in front of us. And so my what I try to do and what I try to encourage people on the journey with me to do is to be completely present to whatever is before you with your open heart and to stay, you know, through, through giving, we get more. And so let me answer this or close by this short little one stanza poem of mine that goes like this, the mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need hidden in their trouble. Mm. That's that's your, that's from you, right? Yeah, you said? yeah. wow, amazing. Love, in every moment we can just be present and come from a place of love. If we could do that in every single moment, and if we can give in moments, if we just think to give more than we think to receive or accept or anything else, how magical and drastically different this world would be. Mark, thank you so much for being here, man. You really have some incredible insight. Uh, you just have a way of speaking. Your words have just hit me uh, in different ways. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, if you can let people know where they can find you on Instagram, um, on any other social media, uh, your website, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So uh, folks can find me at marknepo.com and live.marknepo.com. That's where all the webinars are. And, you know, all my books and my, my up on my website is where I'm teaching and all the things and my books you can find pretty much anywhere. Um, so thanks so much. It's been a joy to be with you. It has been. This has really been really special. You have just a really beautiful, calming presence to you. Uh, and it just seems like it's effortless, the words that just flow from you. So it's just really amazing to be in your presence uh, and be in your space with you. So thank you for being here. Everyone, thank you for 
being a part of this podcast and joining me and Mark uh, on this really great conversation. We have so much love for you and cannot wait to see you next week. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Mark.